This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Yeah, anybody wants to say, say anything, feel free to unmute yourself. Anybody wants to text in any questions? Can, can I ask a question? Yes, go ahead. So is really like the litmus test to know if a rub is really a rub is if sometimes he says, I don't know? I, I think, I think, you know, the same way, I don't want to get in trouble here. Um, I think that, you know, the same way a, a person doesn't become a therapist and all of a sudden know how to treat every single, you know, issue, a person doesn't become a doctor and know how to deal with every medical issue. Rabbanim who receive smicha or become community Rabbanim or Paiskim or anything does not necessarily mean that that person has a, I'll call it a Messiah, that they have the training, but if you want to call it in a religious sense, that they have the training in every single area. Did we have, or do we have the Reb the Reb the people who are just everything? Yes, 100%. 100%. We, did, we do, and we did have those people. So today, a person may have to be more selective in finding a person for this and a person for that, and then utilizing them in the areas of their life that they need. So, you know, Berkowitz himself, you know, his Talmidim, I'll say, consider him somebody who knows everything. You know, maybe it's because, you know, when you learn by a, a Rebbe, but I think the reason is because we see it. I mean, you see, you ask him in anything and you see that he knows it. But he once said over about himself that he was, he was, he was younger. He was starting out teaching and he was teaching in a, in a, in Iyat, in a women's program in Iyat, which was like the women's Asia Torah program. And he was teaching and he was giving a shir on the halachas of tying knots on Shabbat. And in the crowd was a girl, a woman, who her family, apparently, I don't know what they dealt with, but they dealt with things that you make knots about. Maybe she was like, her family owned a boat. I don't know exactly. So she was sitting there, and the whole class, she started asking, is this mother, is this mother, is this mother, is this mother, is this mother? And she was asking the whole time. So in the beginning, he was answering, okay, what's this? How's this? What's that? And then she asked about a certain knot that she was, I guess, describing it or explaining it. And he looked at her and he said, that knot, I'm not sure how I would pass him. I can't tell you. I don't know. Okay. So they finished this year. And then the next day, this girl came in and she said, you're my new Rebbe. Why? He said, because the fact that you say you don't know means that the things that you said you do know shows that you know it. You're, you're, that's it. You're my guide for the rest of my life. So I, I think that, you know, the, I'll call it the, the people who don't know everything you know, they have a certain confidence that they say, I don't know everything. I mean, I've sat by some of the biggest people when an issue comes up, they say, let's call the doctor. Let's get him on the phone. Let's call the therapist. Let's ask them for their opinion. I'm saying I've sat around the table with Rabbanim dealing on certain sensitive issues where they had a host of mental health professionals, medical professionals, other Rabbanim concurring. You agree with what I'm saying over here on this? You're not sure you have to think about it. Okay, I also have to think about it. I think that's a sign of greatness. It's not that you know everything, it's that you know what you know. Because if you think you know everything, you don't know everything, then, then you're leading your kihila down the wrong path. But, but most of our Rabbanim, I will say, in a positive sense, they, they do know what they know and they do know what they don't know. They generally don't step over the bounds of, of areas of expertise. And just like anything else, there's a scope of practice. There's a scope of practice over here also. Again, you had certain people who just knew everything. It's, it's very well known where Yashiv was asked certain questions in medicine 
And he said, when, when you're doing the surgery, you'll come, you'll ask me, and then I'll tell you, you should do this versus you should do that. It wasn't hypothetical. He understood the whole body. He understood, you know, a cow's body, right? From shkita and all the other things, things that you, you wouldn't even know where to start. Because when he learned Masechtas Chulun, he went through it as if he was sitting with a cow. And he went through every single part of the cow, every organ of the cow. This is the trefa. This is not a trefa. It wasn't hypothetical to him. Like if the Beis HaMikdash was built today, he could tell you exactly, you do this, you do this. This is how you do the Avaidah. Because he learned it to such a deep level. You'd ask most Rabbanim, I don't want to say most Rabbanim, you ask certain people, right? You ask certain people, how do you do the, this Avaidah in the Beis HaMikdash? Why? Well, I have no idea. The Chavetz Chaim studied this. He knew it, right? The, the, the great people know everything. But the average person who's, who's being a manig, who understands, you know, the, the breadth of whatever he, he knows and his expertise, that's what we're talking about. So should you ask until you find the answer, no, I don't know. I don't know that you need to ask that until that point. But I think that if you, if you are around big people long enough, you will find that there's a confidence and there's an anivas. They know who they are and they know what questions have to be asked. From the biggest of the big, I'm saying even Ramesha, right? They would consult with doctors. The biggest, the biggest Paiskim, they would always ask pe- questions of people who they felt can, can, can lend an insight into them. So, yes, I, your answer is, I think if you, if you ask once and the answer is, I don't know, you're not really getting a picture of who you're dealing with. But if you, if, you, if you stick around enough times, if you watch, you'll usually see that the big people, they, they will do that. They'll even ask you. Again, they'll ask you, where are you coming from? Tell me your history. You know, tell me about your family. They're not just asking random questions to be nice. There's a lot of chachma there that they're trying to unpackage. So, yeah. You want to say something? Yeah, yeah, take the microphone, though. Yeah, you, you, you got it? The same for us, like, asking teachers questions. Like, it's obviously different, but... Because, like, asking, like, leaders or whatever, it's also somewhat of a Masora, like, how does it work? I, I would say, again, I don't want to get in trouble here. I, I would say that we're not talking about Pesach Halacha here. You're talking about asking somebody for Hadracha in certain areas, and they have a certain level of expertise. Then why is it any different, right? Meaning, meaning whether it's... No, no, I want to hear. Right. I, I would say that most, most you'll find, you'll find, again, first of all, you have, for example, let's say you have the very Hanavia, who's the classic example, right? That people went to her, right? She was somebody who was, who was rendering what she was rendering. And you had women throughout, throughout history who were like this. I don't want to go down the slippery slope of dealing with, you know, women, rabbis and all that other stuff. But I'm just saying from a, from a general consensus perspective, if you have somebody who you consider an expert in a certain area, let's say it's a college teacher or, or, or a shachin, or whoever it is, and you realize like this is a person who's a bar das, and they're not just coming from their own das. They're not just coming from their own throwing this off the top of their head, but like they have experience, they've sat with other people, and they've learned things. Then you should be mash of the words that they're telling you, and hopefully they take that responsibility very seriously. You know what I mean? I remember one of the first times I was on a a a tier of program, and I I I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I, there was a, there was somebody who was like leading me to like teach me and train me. And right before we went out, I looked at this person as like the top professional. I thought this guy was going to be a superstar and he is a superstar. And right before we went to meet this group of 40 um, college age students, he stopped and he sat down and he pulled out a Tehillim and he like said Tehillim for like five minutes. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, 
Like, do you understand the severity like what we're dealing with over here? These are like the addition of Shamas and every word you say is I was like, I was blown away. I was like, I thought, you know, he's like, no, it's not it's not that I'm a great speaker and it's not he said, I need Siata Deshmaya and doing the work that I do. I said, This is the guy that's gonna be successful. Because he understands that there's a severity to what he's doing. He understands if he if he blows up, if he lashes out, if he gets angry, that's a representation of the whole Yiddishkeit to these students. He has to be so careful with what he says. That really blew me away. And more than anything else he said was that idea, right? Every psakalaha you're dealing with, it could be chayvei krisis that you're dealing with, chayvei skill. I mean, you're talking real stuff. You people who are just shooting from the hip, that, that's not usually what you're dealing with. So having somebody who's giving over, they say, listen, in this case, be careful in this relationship. I would, tell, I would advise you to say yes to the shadow or no to the shadow. Hopefully they take it with the same seriousness that, that they're And if you feel that they don't, or if you ask somebody and they say, you know, I would steer away from this person, or I'll say, they share a different Ashkafa than you, which is also sometimes the case, right? Sometimes you find, for some people, this, this, is, this is the right answer. And for some people, that is the right answer. And for you, you need somebody who's a little bit different than that. Okay, fine. That's also a good answer. So my rub is this, and your rub is that, and I love you. It's great. You wear a strimal, and I wear a bend down, and we're best friends. There's no problem with that. Right, but we're we're both, you know, b'shem Hashem, nasa v'natsliach. We're both going along the same path. That's fine. That's beautiful, right? I could tolerate you. You could tolerate me. I'm not yelling at your rub. You're not yelling at my rub. We're all good. We're happy. We're friends. That's that's beautiful. So if a, if a woman is the one who's giving you this information, yeah, I mean, I would hope if a girl goes to a college teacher that she's mach of what the college teacher is saying. She's not questioning it and saying, like, or where do you get this from? And again, it might be a little different than your mother learned. It might be a little different than your grandmother learned. It might be different than your friend learned. Because she's coming from a different place. But hopefully she's coming from a place where she's researched and she sat with Rabbanim and that's where she's coming from. There's a number of college teachers, I'm not looking for any more work, but the number of college teachers who've asked me to look over their, their notes. And I can tell you, I, there was one college teacher that jumps into my mind. Every, I'm telling you, every sentence had a source. I spoke to this Rav, he told me this. I told this Rav, told me that. And she, that was her, her college license. It was, it was, there was not one sentence that was her own machshava. I was, I was very, very impressed by that. She didn't say, oh, my husband likes chicken on Tuesday, so make sure you make chicken on Tuesday. She understood that there's a messiah of what a relationship is, and then she gave that over in a very beautiful way. She understood, like, yes, I do have my das, but I'm, I'm not giving my das. I'm not giving my marriage over to Kala. I'm giving over what marriage is. So there was a certain beauty to that. I really, I really appreciated that. She was... Mavatal herself, she lowered herself to Rabbanan. And that became her 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 notes. And that became what she teaches over. So I would hope that that's what's being given over. If somebody doesn't feel that way and they feel like you're being taught that you should give chicken on Tuesday, then, you know, yeah, that's not really Kalat Asa, you know? Yeah. Um, someone asked, I'm married for 25 years. My husband doesn't have a Muradarah for issues that come up. I agree that it's so important to have one, but how do you go about getting one? I think this is the number one issue that I, again, that I find with people is when people reach out and they say, oh, my husband or my wife refuses to come talk to anybody. Like they, they have no interest whatsoever. So I would, I would venture to say that a lot of times the reason is because they feel, and again, this is not specific here because I don't know, but a lot of times the answer is because the person feels like they're the problem. Like you're being, like I'm dragging you and therefore you have to come with me to our rub because you're a terrible husband or you're a terrible wife. So come and he'll tell you that you're a disaster. 
I'm not talking about that. I think that that's incredibly important, meaning that you should have a Rav and a Rebbe in your life. I'm talking about 25 years earlier. I'm telling you, you're getting married, have a Rav in your life. When you're a Kala, I say to your husband, who's your Rebbe? I'd, lo- I'd love to visit him with you. Let's just visit him. Let's bring him something for Shabbos. Let's give him a little present. Just say thank you for changing my husband, you know, for- forming my husband for me, for making him who he is. I appreciate it. I wanted to bring you something. I want to have a-, a relationship with you. It's Purim. Let's stop over there. Let's just go over to the house. Oh, she had a baby. Let's go help out with the kids. A relationship. Not They're not your friend. They're your rub. They're, they're your mentor. Somebody that you lower yourself to. Not just that you show up when there's a crisis, because if a person gets the feeling that they are the crisis, then oftentimes they don't want to come. And I do see this a lot, where people are so adamant they don't want to come. Finally, they do come. It's only once they're there and the relationship starts, that's when finally they say, okay, I'm willing to listen to the words. And a good rub, and I think you know therapists, I'm sure, are trained this way as well, that first really comes that trust where does trust come from? It comes from building a relationship with, with, the, with the patient. I had somebody who, who went to a therapist and the therapist started telling him things way too fast. It was, there was not enough trust. And the person said to the therapist, listen, you've you're come very highly recommended. I just don't trust you yet. I, I, I want to come back here. I want to test out some of your theories first. I want to think it through. Once I have that, then I'm willing to come. And the therapist said, no, you have to blind me, blindly trust me. That's how it works in my office. Okay, so I will blindly walk back to my car. Can't come back here. It's not working for me. I, I just don't have it. I don't feel it. Sorry, it's not working. Again, with Rabbanim, there's a certain hachna, and, and, and we don't question Rabbanim on the same level, obviously. But the idea that a person builds a trust with his rav, a relationship with his rav, so important, so important. And I would encourage you, again, doesn't matter, male, female, 25 years, 100 years, two years, Get that relationship off the ground. Introduce yourself. Say hi. Go a few times a year so they know who they're talking to. The difference between two people who ask the same question is oftentimes vastly different. They're asking the same question, but it's vastly different. I'll talk about relationships because that's, I'll call, you know, my, you know, area. So Sometimes there's people asking me a question. I'm like, you need to marry this guy. This guy is good for you. But what about this and this and this? Good question for you. I'll address it. I'll tell you. We'll talk about it. We could sit here for six hours. But the answer is that this is good for you. And for some people, this is toxic for you. I know you. This is not going to work. Right? Because you know who you're talking to. It's just a different a different question. It's like this, not just in, in a hashkafic sense, but it's like this in a halachic sense as well. People could ask the same thing, right? You're a weak person, so you can eat today. You're not a weak person, you shouldn't eat today. You know who you're talking to. There's different. Oh, you have a history of whatever it is. You fainted in the past. Okay, we, we, we take that all into consideration. Having the relationship is so important. And I find this a lot. When people say, oh, you know, I, my husband or my wife doesn't want to come to the rub. I would suggest don't go to the rub with a problem. Go to the rub just to go to the rub. Go to talk. Talk about your children. Talk about... Anything you want. I have a Dvartari I want to tell the Rav. Could you come with me? Whatever you want. Form that relationship so that he gets to know you. And then when your marriage comes to comes across that this is something that has to be dealt with, so then the Rav, oh, well, we go to the Rav. Of course, this is what we do. You know, if you listen to the Journey of Unity class, you always talk about 
bringing things into your marriage, channeling things into your relationship, teaching your family. This is teaching your family. We teach our family that we ask a Shiloh to the Rav. Right? Something comes up. I learned this from my father-in-law. There were certain times the kids would ask a question. It's a good, great question. He knew the answer. We'd say, this is a good one. You should ask this to the Rav. Let's go together. And he would walk them over after the davening and say, my son has a Shiloh for the Rav. To teach them, this is what you do. You go over to a Rav and you ask him a Shiloh. I, I saw that once in my in-law's house. So I started that with my son. He would ask me questions on the parsha, whatever. Such a great question. This is a Shiloh for the Rav. Let's go after it. He would go over after davening. I, I think that's part of Chinuch, of a home. That kid knows, like, we ask the Rav. What happens? You ask the Rav. You listen to the Rav. What did the Rav say? Oh, right. And the kid talks it through. He says, oh, but what about this? Good question. Let's go back to the Rav. That, 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 it, it's so crucial. But it's such an anomaly, right? As you're hearing it, you're thinking like, oh, that would be nice someday. Or I could see doing that with my kid. But it, it's for you. It's for 50-year-olds. It's for 100-year-olds. Revelyash, um, sorry, Rebbe Kanyaski talks about it. He says, your Rav shouldn't be somebody who's departed. It should be somebody who's alive. I hear this from people all the time. They go, oh, yeah, my Rav, it's very nice. You could go to his cavalry, Kadavan, could be meditation for you. It's very nice. You need a Rav who can talk to you, who knows you, can ask, who you respect. That is just critical. I think that goes without saying. But he says it. But I think that goes without saying, right? I mean, you can actually present it. Something else? One more? One more? Okay. Ooh. What are some suggestions for choosing a mentor and building that relationship? I find it really challenging. I feel shy or that I'm imposing. I think that most Rabbanim, they understand that their life is, in a certain sense, a Risha Sarabim. And they usually have their, their own boundaries set up so that you're not imposing on them or in their life. Some have specific hours, some have specific numbers, specific time. That's part of people who make themselves available for the Tzibor. So you're not imposing on somebody who set up their life. Not, I don't want to use the word to be imposed on. They don't look at it as an imposition at all. It's a schus to be able to answer people's questions. So the idea that you're not calling just means you're allowing somebody else to call. You're just giving up your spot. Somebody else is taking that spot. So you don't do it in a nudgy way. Some certain rabbanim, you know, have less time or you know opportunity to speak to people. And if it's not working for you, then you may have to find somebody who's more available. I always say that your rub should be reachable, they should be relatable, and they should be reliable. I think those are three qualifications in a rub. Reachable, relatable, and reliable. A rub you can't get in touch with doesn't help you, right? A Rav who you can't relate to, he's telling you things that might be for somebody else, a different hashkafa, different psak, coming from a different world, not going to work for you. And a Rav who's reliable in the area that you need him, that's the key. There are certain big Rabbanim who don't deal with certain, certain areas of halacha. They don't deal with certain hashkafa things. They just say, this is not for me. You have to know your rub is reachable, relatable, reliable. If they don't have those three qualities, then it just doesn't work. So if somebody says, I, I don't know, I'm scared, I'm nervous, nobody bites. Nobody bites. Nobody yells. 
Nobody's yelling at you. The worst is that they just won't pick up the phone. And that's not a sign of rejection. It's just a sign of they just don't have the bandwidth to take somebody on right now or to speak to you or to meet with you, which is fine. You could ask them, when is a good time? You know, I think that it's also an art form of, of, of lowering yourself. When is a good time? How could I help you? Can I drive you somewhere? Can I, again, I'm not saying you should, you know, invite yourself into their house when they're trying to tell you, no, I don't want you in my house. I don't want you watching my children. I don't want you doing my dishes. I, I don't want you doing my laundry. No, that's not usually what they want. But to find a time that works or to find an area that works, that relationship can be built. So I, I would say that there's so many qualified people today in, in so many areas. The uptick in quality of, and again, we, we're all, you know, lowering ourselves to the generations before us. But the amount of information today, the trainings that go on, even when it comes to simple things, a fifth grade Rebbe, the amount of, of shimush and training that they put in through Rebbeim today, unprecedented. They, they didn't do this, you know, back in my day when I was a kid. They didn't have that, this level. They, the, the level of like sitting in the back of the classroom and teaching them this is classroom control. All the things, all these programs that they run out. It, it, it's, it's, it's amazing that they have that. They have this for Rabbanim. They have programs today where they teach them and how to be empathetic listeners and all the stuff which Rabbanim had to pick up and learn. Today, it's, it's taught and it's given over. So I'm just saying like there are so many opportunities for people to connect to people. It doesn't mean because you see somebody or he seems to be more famous or well-known or he's in your area. doesn't mean that that's the right person for you. You may have to find somebody in your community or somebody who is more relatable or is further out or whatever the case may be or dealing on a specific issue. You may need that just because that's just the nature of asking questions. But the person shouldn't shy away from that because you're giving up a tremendous opportunity. And I would say that the same way there's the severity of breaking that relationship, of, of embarrassing Tamid HaChachamim and not listening to them, on the flip side is the reward, is the beauty of somebody who takes the time out of their day to go listen to somebody else and to say, let me hear your hashkafa, let me ask you my shayalas, let me get guidance from you. There's a certain beauty and the same way you have on this side, it seems to be so severe. On this side, it, on this side, it is so incredibly rewarding for a person who's able to do that. So if somebody's able to do that, I, I just think, you know, this is the wrong time to be shy. This is the wrong time for Anivas and who am I anyways? And why should they talk to me anyways? Yeah, you're, you're, you're Hashem, you're important. I was just telling this to somebody, he was talking to me about um, Rezekhaya Waller's name and how he used to, I don't want to say it on, on a recorded thing, but he used to do something for him every year that he knew Rabbi Wallace would appreciate and he went out of his way to provide him with a certain service. Once a year, they had a relationship. So I said, why do you do it for Rabbi Wallerstein? So he said, I saw how he was so ibergegeven, so given over to the tzibur. I said, if there's something that I can give him, I want to give this to him. And that became our relationship. Every year we would speak and we had like a beautiful moment once a year, just once a year that we would speak. So I said, I said let me tell you something about him. Rabbi Wallace used to say, and he would say this to me all the time, not once or twice, a hundred times he would say to me, he would say, that girl who's calling, that's your daughter. That girl is your wife. That girl is your sister. That girl is your mother. That's who's calling. And if you have that mindset, then you give yourself over. It, sleep doesn't get in your way because you get up when your children are struggling, when your kids can't sleep or when they're in pain. That mindset, it permeates. It's real. I consider that part of like my core messiah of, of dealing with people core that is a core memory of the hundred times that he said those words 
That's your daughter. That's your daughter calling you. How do you not pick up the phone? Well, powerful. So when you think that you're calling people who have that mindset, so then of course that person's going to try to be there for you. Again, they may not just say, okay, I'm destroying my business and my family and everything for you because they have to, they have to be them in order to service you, to be there more for you. So there's a certain balance that is struck, but it's not an imposition and it's not something that they don't want to do. You're not calling a random guy and begging him to listen to your deepest, darkest secrets and all the crises that you're going through and saying, you're now here by my therapist and I'm going to, you know, you're going to do it at no cost at at three o'clock in the morning. That's not what you're doing. You're contacting people who have a specific knowledge, a specific experience, a specific skill. This is not a time to shy away from those relationships. So important. So important. I, I really think this is probably one of the most underutilized life skills that we have as a Jewish people. As a Jewish people, we have Chachamim, we have Rabbanim, we have so many talented people to tap into and they're all around us and you just have to latch on, not in a creepy way, but in a healthy way and 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 make them yours. Make that relationship yours so that he goes from becoming a rabbi or the rabbi to my rabbi. That should be your goal. Somebody that you're able to really connect with they're reachable, they're reliable, they're relatable, they connect with you, they know you, they pick up the phone, you could talk 30 seconds and get your answer, as opposed to like, let me tell you from the beginning of my life again, what happened? You should be past that already. You should be past that already. And it's never too early to start. Never too early. I think it's it's a, a staple of Tanakh. And if somebody didn't have that, you know, as a child, then do it as an adult. You didn't have it as an adult. Do it when you're married and when you have children. It should become part of it. person shouldn't start looking when they're in crisis it should be it should be way before that anything else we're done one more question okay go ahead yeah okay fine last one okay. uh what do you do if you don't have someone who knows you personally you build a relationship it's very rare for rabbanim to knock on everybody's door and say like hi i'd like to get to know you personally in case you ever need me i'm your life insurance plan that has no premiums it doesn't it doesn't go that way. They usually have to be built up those relationships. So foster it and find the right person to make that happen so that when the time comes, it, it, it happens. When I speak to, to, to whether it's married people or single people and they say, I called my rabbi or I called my rav, that brings a smile to my face. That means they did something right. They they had a relationship. They kept that relationship. It could be a seminary teacher. It could be after seminary. It doesn't make a difference. When they say those words, I like hearing those words. It shows to me that you, you're you serious. You kept a shaykh to somebody. You took the time to keep that relationship going. You didn't just call them 18 years later and say, hi, do you remember me? I was in your class. No. Yeah, I was the girl who sat in the back. I never paid attention. No. Okay, I have a question. It doesn't work that way. You have to start from the beginning. Right away, you get that relationship and you foster that relationship. It doesn't take more than a short amount of time every few months just to check in, just to have a quick question, a quick follow-up. And then that person becomes becomes yours and they, and you become theirs. I think it's just, yeah. Don't make up questions. Have a, get a relationship. Again, have a relationship. That that usually means that they know, if, okay, if they say, if you have a question, call me, it usually means that they, that they, that they know you already. Meaning if they know you're ready, so then, yeah, you don't have to just come over and say, hi, this is my name again. This is the story. 
But when there's a constant contact, that's how you foster relationships. Ask anybody who's in sales. They have their list of people that they want to con- contact. Hi, I'm just reaching out to you just to wish you a happy uh, Columbus Day, right? Well, why do they do that? Because you remember them. Oh, that's the guy. That's the guy, right? Your rub should hear from you a few times a year. Your teacher should hear from you a few times a year so that you do have that shaykhah. So when the time comes and you need something, or even that, when your family needs something, your children need something, or even just basic, forget even needing something. The concept of a messiah, we get information from people who have this. And by the way, if you think about life enough, you'll have enough questions. You'll have, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like the idea that we go through our whole life, we have, we don't, I don't have anything to ask. There's a lot of things to ask. Maybe you answer them on your own. So you could say, I was thinking about this and I was thinking this. What do you think about that? Get into a conversation, a short conversation. It's not, it's not rocket science. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.